Good morning, Friendship Baptist Church. It's uh, good to be with you again, even under the circumstances. I hope that you're able to gather a family, your family together and uh, prepare for worship today. I haven't been able to prepare uh, the, our normal liturgy with songs and scripture and all that this week, and uh, I also cut and bailed hay yesterday, and, and uh, I've got a lot of allergy stuff going on, so I... Um, I don't know that I would be able to sing even if I had prepared it, but I do have a sermon for you today, and I do want to remind you that, as I announced on Wednesday, we want to, if you're able, to observe the Lord's Supper today, and so I hope you had the opportunity to go get some grape juice, or maybe you had something around the house that you can use for the Lord's Supper. We do want to observe that as faithfully as we can, especially given the fact that it's meant for our good, and because it's meant for our good, we want to observe it even though we're separated because of the pandemic. But in any case, I hope that you have uh, some bread and some grape juice or wine on hand and, and are ready to observe that at the end of the service. I, I'm not going to lead it, as I said in my midweek video. Um, I'm just simply going to turn it over to you as a family, whether you as a father or grandfather or, or, or mother want to lead your family in uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper. I hope that you're able to do that and to have a meaningful time of worship together. Uh, but I do want to bring a sermon to you today from Genesis chapter 22. We're going to pick back up in our study of Genesis and look at one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. In fact, besides the crucifixion of Jesus, it's probably besides maybe the flood and the creation story is the most famous story, of, especially in Genesis. And that's the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, you know it well because it's imprinted on your mind if you've been to uh, Sunday school or VBS or church for any length of time. Uh, but I want to look at this passage today with fresh eyes and hopefully see uh, the beauty of the, the story behind the story, as you might say. Um, so we'll look at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, and I'll begin by reading that text together, uh, reading that, and you follow along with me, and then I'll pray and we'll get into the sermon. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, God's word says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. <clears throat> he said, Take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire of the knife and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but there is a, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, uh, both of them, together. 
When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed the God who provides. You are the one who has seen all things, and you don't just see, but you purpose. And Father, we trust that in our day, you are purposing and planning and working out your purpose and plan for our good and for your glory. So Father, we see the example of Abraham and his faith and his reliance on you, even to the point of sacrificing his only son. And we see that as an example to us of how we are to rely on you. We also see your faithfulness and the fact that you are uh, faithful to us even when things don't make sense, even when uh, it seems that your commands run contrary to everything we know about you, yet we know to be faithful and to remain trust, uh, to continue to trust in you because you ultimately will fulfill your promises to us. So, Father, bless us now as we study from your word. Give us understanding that we might know you and obey you. Father, bless me that I might uh, bring this word to these people, and that they might be blessed and, and furthered in their faith, and that they might walk in newness of life. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, over the past 10 chapters of Genesis, we've seen this story of Abraham progress from uh, a man who Uh, did not know God, as far as we know, a a pagan living in the land of Ur who was called by God to go to a foreign country, to the land of Canaan, and through that uh, obedience would be blessed and would not just be blessed himself, but he would be a blessing to others, ultimately that his offspring would be a blessing to the whole world. And we've seen that Abraham uh, has has been through ups and downs. He's been through trials and tribulations. He's seen, however, the faithfulness of God, that God continued in everything that he did to be faithful to Abraham, regardless of what Abraham did. Sometimes Abraham was terribly 
unfaithful in his obedience to God, and yet God remained faithful to Abraham. And the greatest example of that faithfulness was found just a couple of chapters back in God's faithfulness to bring about the birth of his son, the son of laughter that God had promised would come to Sarah in her old age. Remember, Sarah is barren, has been barren the whole time we've known her, and we already have found out just a couple of chapters back that she was beyond the age of childbearing anyway. And so she is totally unable to have a child. And as we saw in chapter 18, she laughs at God because of this promise that God makes to Abraham. And yet God says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we see the fulfillment of that. So now in chapter 21, what at the end of chapter 21, we've kind of skipped over that, but Abraham makes this agreement with Abimelech and he's allowed through the authority and the love that Abimelech has for him to remain in Gerar. And so Abraham, at the end of the chapter, we find that Abraham is enjoying all the blessings and the bounty of God's blessing to him. He has a well of water. He has plenty of land on which to graze his, his herds. He And best of all, he has his son, this son of promise that he's always wanted, that God has always provided. And I think that Moses, as he is writing this, is intentional in setting up this scene because he wants you to understand that at this point, Abraham's life could not get any better. He has realized the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But that's all about the change. So our text today, like I said, is one of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. And the, the near sacrifice of, uh, of uh, Isaac by his father Abraham. If you were just to pluck this story out of the Bible and just read it on its own, it really would not make a lot of sense. In fact, it is dumbfounded uh, scholars, philosophers, uh, and lay people for, for centuries because in the grand scheme of things, just if we were to take basic ethics and say, does this make ethical sense? It doesn't because it's not right to sacrifice your son. This is extraordinary. This is out of the ordinary, even for the character of God, the God of the universe. This is out of the ordinary and out of the, the flow of the story, really. It upends the story because this whole time we've been looking forward to the birth and the fulfillment of the promise of Isaac. And now, immediately following that in the storyline, God commands Abraham to take and to sacrifice his only son. Uh, one of my favorite philosophers, if not my favorite philosopher, is a, is a Dutch philosopher named uh, Soren Kierkegaard. And Soren Kierkegaard takes this story, he writes a whole book on it called Fear and Trembling. It's an interesting book because he examines just how strange this sacrifice is or this calling is, because it doesn't match with anything that we know uh, as, as ethical people, people just trying to live a good life in this world. In fact, it, it means, it takes us from just relating to God as lawgiver to relating to Him absolutely. 
we step out of our own laws. We step out of the laws of the world. We step out of even uh, the laws that we know God has given us. And we then relate absolutely to the absolute is what Soren Kierkegaard says. And the idea behind that is that the true life of faith, the true life of faith is a life that is called to be obedient to God even when God himself doesn't make sense. We are to relate absolutely to God, be completely obedient to God, even when the command that God gives us doesn't match with anything else that he might have told us and that he might have promised. We are to be obedient to God. And so the beauty of this story is that... uh, like I said, many people have tried to understand it in many different ways, and people have taken it over the centuries and made all kinds of different analogies and brought so all kinds of different meanings out of this text. But I want you to understand that this story makes absolutely no sense apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This story makes no sense apart from the lens of Jesus. You see the story in this story, the sacrifice of Isaac, is simply a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of the one and only Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. To show you that in the text today, I want to look at this text in three points. The faith of Abraham, the obedience of Isaac, and the faithfulness of God. So the first point that we see in this text is the faith of Abraham, and that's found or I'm going to show you that from verses 1 through 8. It says at the beginning of that passage, after these things, God came to test Abraham. Now we don't know how long that was between Isaac's birth and what this time frame is, but we do know a few things. First of all, Isaac is old enough to, number one, travel unaided, He's also old enough to carry on an adult conversation with his father, and he is old enough to carry enough wood for the sacrifice. So most scholars believe that he is between the ages of 15 and 35. In any case, he would have been considerably grown, and he would have been a a grown man at this point. Understand that Abraham has had plenty of time to spend with Isaac. He's had time to uh, teach him how to care for the herds. He's had times maybe to even teach him how to fish and to hunt and to play games. He's had all of this time to grow in his love for his son. And this is his only son. And he loves him dearly. Now after all these years of luxury and, and enjoyment, God comes to test Abraham. And he calls Abraham to take his only son, go three days journey to an unknown mountain, and sacrifice his son there. Moses makes us feel the weight of this in verse 2, when he emphasizes the fact that Isaac is his only son, and the son whom he loves. But I want you to notice the faith of Abraham in three specific ways today. First, notice in verse 3 that Abraham rises early in the morning. Abraham doesn't wait around. 
He doesn't try to find an excuse like we so often do when we're called to obey God. He rises early in the morning. He knows the region that he's going to, and so he goes prepared. He cuts wood to take with him for the sacrifice. He takes two servants with him, and he grabs the best knife for the sacrifice. Abraham is prepared to be obedient to the end. Brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that we pale in comparison to this example of faith. God has never asked us to sacrifice our only son, but he has asked us to put others above ourselves. He has asked us to love one another. He has asked us to give generously. But we find excuses. The tire's flat. I don't feel like it. Or I had a bad childhood, so I'm excused from it. Abraham is ready and willing to obey God, even in the most difficult of tasks. The second way that we see the faith of Abraham is found in verse 5. When they get to the mountain, he tells his servants to stay put, and he and the boy are going to, quote, worship. And notice that he says that both he and the boy will return. Now, two things I want to point out from this. First of all, this is the very first time in the Bible that the Hebrew word for worship is used. And it's used significantly in the context of sacrificing the thing that this man has waited his whole life for. I think this teaches us a significant thing about what worship is. Worship is the act of putting everything that we are and everything that we have in right order below God. And in its play, in, in contrast, to take what we know about God and then to exalt Him as supreme in our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that our true act of worship is to lay down, is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Our act of worship is to do as Isaac and Abraham did, did and to offer our lives as a sacrifice to God. Also notice that Abraham had faith that God would somehow remain faithful to his promise to bless him and to make him the father of a multitude and so he says to his servants that he and the boy will both come back. <clears throat> Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering his only son. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. See, Abraham knew that God could do all things. He had already seen that in his life. And he had seen that God was faithful to his promises. So he trusted God to work a miracle and bring Isaac back. The last way we see the faith of Abraham is in verses 7 and 8. Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice up the hill and he starts to put two and two together and he asks his father where the sacrifice is. Now as a side note, it is significant that Isaac knows that they need a lamb for the sacrifice. The only explanation for this is that Abraham has raised his son to understand that sin needs a sacrifice. He has raised his son in the practice of 
sacrifice. And we, we tend to think of the Bible, this is a good example of how we tend to think of the Bible as being divided, that, that people in the Old Testament didn't know about sacrifice, or people in Genesis didn't know about sacrifice until Exodus and God enacting the sacrificial system. And then even after that, people in, in the sacrificial system didn't know of the coming promise of a sacrifice that would pay for all sins. And then uh, ultimately, that was revealed in Jesus. And there is some truth to the, the progressive revelation of the sacrificial work of Christ, because you find in the New Testament that the, the disciples themselves didn't fully understand that. But we would be wrong to think that uh, the Old Testament believers did not know that their sins needed atonement and did not understand that the sacrifice that they were offering was somehow foreshadowing something, somehow holding the place of something. And we find from this that Isaac finds this act of sacrifice to be a very natural thing because he has grown up with his father offering sacrifices. He knows that there's something missing. They need a lamb because daddy always uses a lamb for the sacrifice. Notice Abraham's response in verse 8. He says, The Lord will provide for himself the lamb. Abraham had come to understand and believe that salvation is totally a work of God. If Abraham was going to be saved, then it required God's provision for his sin. If his son was going to be saved, then God would have to provide a lamb. The second point that I want you to notice is the obedience of Isaac in verses 9 through 10. Keep in mind that Isaac is a young man and Abraham is an old man. And Abraham is between the ages of 115 and 135. So it would be no great thing for Isaac just to beat up his dad and run off if he needed to protect his life from his dad and think, thought that his dad had gone crazy. But there's no mention of Isaac protesting or resisting. Isaac goes willingly to the slaughter. Isaac had seen his father pray and talk to God. He had listened to the stories of, of God's faithfulness to his father. He had heard about the time that Abraham had met God face to face. He saw his father walk with God. So he was ready to be obedient to his father and to his God because he had seen his father's faithfulness to his own God. Fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers, can we say the same thing about our children and grandchildren? Do you live a life of faith before them so that they know your God through you? They come to trust God because of your trust in God. Can we say the same thing about our example to our children and grandchildren? Finally, we see the faithfulness of God in verses 11 through 18. Abraham is ready to strike his son with the knife. And at the point that he starts to take that last move, the angel of the Lord stays his hand and commands him to not to strike his son. Abraham looks there, uh, looks after this, and there's a ram caught in a thicket. Now, the interesting thing about 
that word caught there is that in every other use of that word in the Old Testament, it's used to say a man caught something or a net caught something. So this is not uh, the idea of, you know, accidental caught. This is the idea that this ram is constrained. There is intention here in the fact that this ram is caught. And they take that ram that is caught and they substitute it for Isaac. Notice what Abraham calls this mountain. He calls it the Lord shall provide. Then God reiterates the promise that he had made to Abraham from the beginning. And because of the faith of Abraham, God is going to bless him and he is going to use Abraham to be a blessing to all nations of the world. But this is not where I want you to find the faithfulness of God in this story. I said at the beginning that this story makes no sense without Jesus. You see, God didn't have to test Abraham to know that he had faith. We've already seen that God knows what we think before we say a word. He knew that Sarah was laughing in her heart when he said that he would give her a son. He knew that without ever hearing it from her. God is sovereign and knows all things, so he didn't have to do this for his own benefit. But he did have to do it for the benefit of three people. Abraham, Isaac, and you. Let's start back at the beginning of the story and let me point out a few key things in this text. First of all, in verse 2, God commands Abraham to go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice his son on a mountain there. Do you know where the region of Moriah is? It's Jerusalem. Do you know where this mountain is? It's the mountain on which the temple would later sit. This place in which lambs would be offered as sacrifices for the sins of the people. And this is the place near which Jesus would hang on a cross for the sins of the world. Second, God repeatedly reminds us that Isaac is Abraham's only son. But is Isaac Abraham's only son? No. Ishmael is also the son of Abraham. So why would God do this? Because in John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Isaac was the son of promise, through whom all the nations of the world would somehow be blessed. And all the nations of the world are blessed because of Jesus, the descendant of Isaac, who died for the sins of the world. Third, in verse 6, it says that Abraham took the wood for the sacrifice and laid it on the back of Isaac, and Isaac carried it up the hill to the place of the sacrifice. In a similar way, a 200-pound crossbeam was laid on the back of the only Son of God, and Jesus carried it, carried that crossbeam up the hill where he was crucified for our sins. Fourth, in verse 8, Abraham testifies that God will provide a lamb for himself. And in John 1, 29, John the Baptist says 
As he sees Jesus coming, he tells his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. God has always intended to provide a lamb for the sacrifice. He has always intended to provide one sacrifice that would pay for all sins once and for all. Fifthly, God provides a ram as a sacrifice, as a substitute for Isaac. And Jesus died as a substitute for us. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' death was not an accident or a great demonstration of God's hatred of sin. It was a substitute that paid the penalty for our sins. Notice that a sacrifice was still expected, even after God stayed Abraham's hand. You know, the way we often think of forgiveness is that God just says, Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I'll let it go. But really, God still expects a sacrifice. When we sin, that sin has consequences. It doesn't just have consequences for the people that we sin against, but it has eternal uh, spiritual consequences. It separates us from God. It uh, condemns us because of our sin. It requires a sacrifice. It requires a substitute. God still expected a sacrifice even after he stayed Abraham's hand. But God provided the sacrifice. And finally, in verse 14, Abraham understands the meaning of it all. And so he names this place on the mountain of God, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Notice he didn't say it was provided, <clears throat> which would seem to be more accurate to what had just happened. It would make sense to name it on the mountain of the Lord, it was provided. But Abraham names this place on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. What he names it is a name that looks forward. And it looks forward as the Jews believe, to the temple and the sacrifices that would be made there. But it looks forward ultimately to Christ and to this one sacrifice that paid for the sins of the whole world. There's another interesting play on words that happens here. In, in Hebrew, <clears throat> the Hebrews like to use one word to mean two different things. And and you'll see that a lot of times in your in your English translations, it'll have a, a superscript next to the um, next to a word, and then down at the bottom of the, your Bible, it might say this could also mean this. And I think that it's intended to have a double meaning, because everywhere else that this word "provide" is used in the in the book of Genesis is used is translated as "seen" or "saw." In fact, throughout this story, everywhere you see the word provided, that's or provide, that's actually the word see. So when it says God will provide a lamb for himself, it, it means God see, will see a lamb for himself. And here, when it says on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided, it literally could also be translated on the mountain of the Lord, 
it shall be seen. And the beautiful play on words, the double meaning there to me is yes, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The sacrifice will be provided through Jesus. But also God shall be, shall be seen on this mountain. And God was seen through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. He is faithful in the fact that He has worked all of history together so that a little baby boy would be born in a stable in the city of David to a woman and a man who were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is faithful in the fact that this little boy was the only son of God who would carry the wood of the sacrifice up the hill of the Lord and there provide a substitute. The atonement for our sins. May the Lord grant us the faith of Abraham and Isaac that we would believe God's promises and believe that the Lord would provide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you indeed do provide. You are indeed are faithful. You are good to us, even when we are faithless. Even when, like Abraham in so many cases, we don't uh, trust in the promises that you make. Yet we know through the story of Abraham and through so many of the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament and even our own stories that you are still faithful. So Father, assure us of that this Sunday morning. Help us to rest in the faithfulness of God. Father, bless us as we come together as your people in our various places to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Bless the cup and the bread that we might uh, benefit from it. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most significant ways that we have to remember that the Lord has provided is through the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup remind us of the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It reminds us that He became like us so that we might see Him and that we might know God literally in the flesh. It reminds us that He made a new covenant with us through His blood. And because of that new covenant, just as with Abraham, God was faithful to fulfill His promises even when it didn't make any sense what He was doing. God is faithful. He has made a covenant with us. And because God is faithful, even when it doesn't make sense, we can endure in this time, sometimes the things that God calls us to do don't make sense. But we are called to remain faithful because God is faithful. I hope that you'll take this time to observe the Lord's Supper, to gather together as family or maybe a, a larger family uh, group, and to observe this ordinance of the Lord. Remember, this ordinance is for your good. It's meant to remind you, to draw you to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And through that sacrifice, and through that reminder, to go out and to proclaim it to the world. God bless.